seriously popular. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm the Member of Parliament and author Chris Bryant. And in this new series, I'm delving into history, crime and injustice and bringing you stories which should never have happened. This is Lost Voices. We left James, John and William at the end of episode two, having been convicted and sentenced at the Old Bailey. But that wasn't the end of their story. I'm standing outside the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, known as, as it says on the board outside, St. Sepulchre without Newgate. So it's immediately opposite, or diagonally opposite, uh, the Central Criminal Court and Newgate. And it's famous not only because its name, St. Sepulchre, reminds you of doom and death and um, graveyards, but also because it was here um, that the great bell tolled both on the night before an execution at Newgate and during the execution itself. And with the tolling of the bell came a dirge, bellowed out to the prisoners who were due to die for their supposed wickedness and sin. It urged them to keep that night in watching and prayer for the salvation of their souls and to repent of their sins and in the hope that they might not be sent into the eternal flames. It was exactly the same on the morning when... The prisoners were taken out from Newgate. The bell would toll again, as it was said, to the end that all godly people hearing that bell and knowing it is for you going to your deaths may be stirred up heartily to pray to God to bestow his grace and mercy upon you whilst you live. 
pretty grim. One of the things that has been written about very little, historically, is the process of the recorder's report. Nobody quite knows why, but it was certainly the rule that even if you'd been sentenced to death, you couldn't actually be executed until the recorder of London, who was the senior judge uh, at the Old Bailey, had presented his report to the king in council. This meeting was known as the Hanging Cabinet because it was basically most of the members of the cabinet, including the prime minister, the home secretary um, and various others, um, along with the recorder of London and the king. And they would sit and they would consider all the different cases that had been sentenced to death and they would decide who to reprieve and who should face execution. It only happened in relation to cases in London. And what's extraordinary is that quite often these meetings would take moments. Most of the people wouldn't have seen any paperwork at all. Some of them would forget the details. Sometimes the Recorder of London wouldn't produce all the details. And on one occasion, at least, the decision which was to reprieve had been incorrectly transmitted back to the prison, where the prisoner was being prepared for execution. And it was only at the very last minute when it was reported in the newspapers that this person was going to be executed. And one of the people who'd been at the meeting who knew that he was going to be reprieved suddenly went, excuse me, no, he's being reprieved. So it was a very chaotic process. And what happened in this particular case is quite exceptional. So there were 17 men in Newgate who were awaiting execution and had sent in pleas for mercy in some shape or other. 17 people who'd been sentenced to death and couldn't be executed until such time as the recorder's report had happened and the king and the hanging cabinet decided what to do. And you could write, you could, you could write your plea for mercy either to the Home Secretary or to the Prime Minister um, or to the King directly. What was extraordinary in this case is that James Pratt's wife, Elizabeth, had done an extraordinary job of putting together this beautifully written um, plea for mercy, a, a, a long petition with 53 names. And what's extraordinary is not only that Elizabeth Pratt, so the wife of the man, um, had done it, but also that the first two people to sign the petition were John and Jane Berkshire, the people who'd brought the prosecution. I can't find any other case at this period where the wife of somebody and the leading prosecutors have all pleaded for mercy where mercy hasn't been granted. So it's quite extraordinary in this case that the decision was at the hanging cabinet that the law should take its course. But there's another element of this that is extraordinary because Hensley Wedgwood, the magistrate who, because he had to, sent James, John and William for trial at the Old Bailey, he wrote in his own name, signed in his own name to the Home Secretary to beg for mercy. It's a really important... It's, it's the most courageous letter of its time. There are a couple of other letters a bit like it, but they're all anonymous around this period. But this is signed by Hensley Wedgwood at a time when there's a terrible taboo about homosexuality. And that wasn't reported either to the Hanging Cabinet. So my suspicion is that the Recorder of London 
he didn't care about James and John, or he did care about them in the sense that he hated homosexuality and he wanted a hanging. And the only way to get a hanging was to allow their case to proceed. There's lots of evidence from people who attended some of these meetings of the hanging cabinet over the years that it was completely chaotic, that sometimes the king would fall asleep or um, one of the ministers was even known as the minister for somnolence because he fell asleep. Um, and, uh, and others were renowned for never bothering to read papers. Sometimes they would decide that they hadn't actually hanged enough people recently, so they should hang some more. And sometimes they would decide, no, we've had too many hangings recently, so we're not going to, we're going to reprieve a couple of people. But interestingly, there hadn't been a single hanging at Newgate for more than two years. And if you, there's a great big book in the National Archives which lists every single person sentenced to death at the Old Bailey, um, their date of birth, what they were charged with, what was the result of their case, what they were sentenced to, and then what happened. And it goes reprieved, 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 page after page after page, until you suddenly come... James and John hanged on the 27th of November 1835. But everybody knew that the system was rotten. To all intents and purpose, it was judicial murder. I'm standing outside the newer building of the Central Criminal Court. You'll have seen it on television when um, people come out after major trials. Uh, it's very different from what it would have been in 1835 when James and John came here. Here was Newgate Jail, one of the oldest jails in Britain. Uh, the criminal justice system in Britain was very different then from today. Lots of prisons were run by local government, by local authorities or by private individuals. And Newgate Jail was run by the City of London. It was absolutely vile. People referred to it as hell above ground. Um, it, it stank. It stank so much you could lean against the smell. And that's because it was dank, it was dirty, there was very little light, there was very little fresh air. Um, in most of the wards and the areas, there was just a single place, to use the 19th century term, to make water. There was nowhere to wash properly. You weren't allowed any soap to be able to wash your linen, so you would rely on your visitors to be able to bring you fresh linen. And the whole system was based on corruption internally because uh, other prisoners were put in charge of individual wards and decided who got to sleep where, um, who got a better bed, who got a cup and who got better food. One of the very particular aspects of this story is that while James and John and William Burnell were waiting trial in Newgate and James and John were then waiting for their execution and submitting their appeal. Charles Dickens, who at this stage 
still hadn't published any of his novels, but had been uh, working as a, a, a shorthand writer in Parliament and had been producing some articles for newspapers. He visited Newgate to write a piece for um, sketches by Boz, which was later published. And he visited in particular the condemned cells and saw James and John um, and the many other prisoners who were awaiting trial or awaiting execution. And at the same time, the government had introduced for the very first time in British history a system of prison inspectors. And the first prison inspection that was done was to Newgate Prison. And those prison inspectors produced a very substantial report which was submitted to the House of Commons. And it details how they met with James and John. Um, They met with the chaplain and with the governor and the turnkeys and a whole series of different people in the prison. And it exposes exactly what Newgate felt like, which was, as they said, it, it was a shame to any Christian country that we had a, a prison like that. James and John were to hang because they'd been convicted of the capital offence of buggery. But William Bunnell was to be transported for 14 years. Transportation was a strange element of the British criminal justice system because for a while we'd exported our prisoners to America. But then when America rebelled, we could no longer send them to America and the prisons in England got full far too fast. Um, And so then we came up with the idea of transporting them to a new colony in Australia. First of all, Botany Bay and then Van Diemen's Land, which we know today as Tasmania. So only days after his conviction, uh, William Bunnell was carried off to one of the hulks. These were old ships that had formerly been part of the Navy but had now been decommissioned and were falling apart. Rat infested, covered in vermin, filthy, dank and horrible places where many people died um, of malnutrition and disease. Then he was sent off on the Asia, which arrived at Hobart on the 21st of February 1836 after 105 days at sea. Five days later, he, along with all the other convicts, uh, were disembarked and were sent off to new work. He wasn't to live long. We know that by 1841 already, he was suffering from what was called debilitas, which may have been a stroke or dementia, and he died in the Norfolk Hospital on the 29th of April. The sentencing by the Recorder of London was an extraordinary moment. There were lots of other people who'd been sentenced as well and were going to be sentenced to death. But he decided to keep James and John separate because he said, however great their crimes might have been, they would have been contaminated by James and John. So thieves and extortionists, that was one thing. But homosexuality somehow was even worse. That would contaminate. And he said, sympathy towards persons for such offences cannot be expected to be shown. For they are offences which, in a British country, mercy can never be extended to. He said, they stood upon the brink of eternity, guilty of offences which hardly excite a tear of pity for their fate. 
and in consideration of which, in a British country, mercy had ever been a stranger. It's not surprising that James and John, according to the newspapers, were considerably affected and wept very much during the address. The actual sentencing is a deliberate attempt to intimidate and humiliate James and John. This is what he said. John Smith, the law is that thou shalt return to the place whence thou camest and from thence to the place of execution where thou shalt hang by the neck till the body be dead, dead, dead and the Lord have mercy upon thy soul. And then the chaplain said, Amen. It's very difficult not to conclude that Charles Law, the recorder of London, hated homosexuals and wanted a hanging. And he got the two. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So once everybody was gathered in the chapel, which is a pretty grim, tawdry, cheap chapel, not like any of the churches that had been built around London at the time with their great carvings and uh, ornate windows, then the service would begin. It started with the morning hymn and proceeded with the lamentation of a sinner and it ended with the service for the dead from the prayer book. When it came to the responses, the chaplain, Cotton, had to say from the gates of hell, and the whole congregation would reply, deliver their souls, O Lord. In effect, James and John were participating in their own funeral. Then came the condemned sermon itself. It seems clear that Cotton loved this bit. It was his moment to shine in his mind. Lots of other newspapers thought it was tawdry, disgusting. It was just an attempt to humiliate the two men. It redounded terribly upon Christianity. He liked phrases like, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Or sometimes he liked the pun that was inherent in the text from Corinthians, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall which was an obvious reference 
to the drop that would come on the gallows. You can hear a single bell tolling in the background here at the moment. I think that's actually at St Paul's Cathedral, summoning people to church. So on the morning of the 27th of November, 1835, James and John were taken from their individual cells to the press yard, uh, where they were prepared for their execution. That's where they met for the first time the executioner, William Colcroft, who had a terrible reputation for often managing um, to have the rope too short or too long or um, uh, and sometimes he had to ha jump on the people who were hanging there to make sure that they died. He was a terrible executioner who executed hundreds of people. Um, so they met William Colcroft, they met the chaplain or the ordinary of Newgate, the Reverend Horace Cotton, who was famous um, amongst many criminals because it was said that if you died at Newgate you died with cotton in your ears and the governor of, the, of, the, uh, of Newgate as well and the two sheriffs of London and then they were processed all the way through Newgate prison to the debtor's door where they stepped out were handed over to the sheriffs who escorted them up onto the gallows and one of the extraordinary things is that the newspapers disagree about whether there were lots of people gathered that morning for the execution, members of the public. It's certainly true that for other executions, there could be thousands. There was one occasion when there were so many thousands gathered for a, 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 an execution at Newgate that um, there was a, a mini-riot and several people were killed in the crush. And when Dickens and uh, Thackeray, the two novelists, both visited uh, public executions around this time, they both thought that the whole system was degrading and despicable. There was no sense of morality. Um, it was just like a public fair. When they came out, according to some newspapers, there was a hiss. Whether that was a hiss at them or a hiss at the fact that they were being executed, we'll never know. But at the same time, the bell was tolling at St Sepulchre again and again and again James and John were in a terrible state they had the right to say a few words if they wanted to but they weren't in a fit state to do that they were taken up one after the other with a noose already round their neck um, and the other side of the rope tied round uh, their stomach their hands pinioned and then their ankles tied together so that they couldn't kick and they were placed underneath the gallow. The rope, William Caulcroft, the executioner, tied round the gallow. And then when the Reverend Horace Cotton waved his white handkerchief, uh, William Caulcroft pulled the lever and the trap fell. Lots of newspapers commented at the time that this was them being sent into the eternal flames or being launched into eternity but that wasn't the end of the story for James and John James's wife Elizabeth had one more duty to do she came and collected James's body and she made sure that he was buried he had a proper Christian burial uh, at St Paul's in Deptford the family church where they baptised their two children 
As for John Smith, the local undertaker whose office was immediately opposite Newgate took his body uh, to the special graveyard that's not far from here where lots of non-conformists had been buried and where criminals were buried. And it means that John Smith now lies between some of the most famous hymn writers of our history, including William Blake and Isaac Walton. Executions were also money spinners. Uh, the executioner himself would sometimes sell bits of the noose uh, or would sell the clothes that the prisoners had been executed in. People would be selling pies and, uh, and Thomas Burt, who was a publisher, almost within hours managed to rush into print with particulars of the execution of James Pratt and John Smith, which included a crude drawing of the two men hanging outside the debtor's door. It doesn't actually mention the charges that they were convicted of, but it claimed that the evidence against these wretched men was so conclusive that not the least shadow of doubt remained of their guilt. It also includes a letter supposedly from John Smith, who we happen to know couldn't read or write, so it seems extremely unlikely that this was ever a letter written by him, in which he decries his own sins. All of this, of course, was made up and was just a way of making money out of somebody else's tragedy. Bell's new weekly messenger admitted that their crime was revolting, but it said that no man of sense and humanity in the present age will venture to say it ought to be punished with such dreadful severity. Severity exercised, I believe, by no civilised nation upon earth but our own. It begged the government to go further in tempering the edge of justice and urged the Home Secretary, Lord John Russell, that our criminal code much as it has been already mitigated, is still susceptible to further mitigation, and that as regards the present subject, it rests upon an insecure and untenable foundation. You could say that again. I've referred to one of the other mysteries in this story, which is, why were they the last two to hang? Because there were lots of other people who were sentenced to death for sodomy and buggery after them. Sentenced to death. So the magistrate put on the black cap, just as they did for James and John, and said, you should be hanged from the neck until you were dead. But they didn't hang because they were immediately reprieved. And why was it that they were reprieved. Well, my suspicion is that everybody was just terribly embarrassed about it. It's a phenomenally British kind of thing. Not only were we so embarrassed by the very concept of homosexuality and men having sex with one another that we had laws against um, sodomy and buggery, which um, imposed the death penalty up until 1835, well, legally imposed it up until 1861, but also... We were terribly embarrassed that we were hanging people for it. And Lord John Russell in particular, he kept some of the newspaper reports of this period in his private papers. 
And there were several attempts over the next few years to change the law. They didn't come to anything. And when the law was changed in 1861, when there was a new Offences Against the People, Against the Person Act, which didn't have the death penalty for homosexuality and didn't refer to homosexuality at all, I think everybody was just relieved that they got rid of it without even mentioning it. It was the crime that dare not know its name. It was the love that dare not know its name. And it was the former offence that did not dare to name the fact that it was being removed from the statute books. And one of the reasons to write this book, and one of the reasons I hope you'll read the book, is because we can't airbrush these things out of our history. If you think about where was the most secure place for gay men in the 20th century, it was Berlin in 1930, where there were loads of gay bars. You'll have seen the film Cabaret. You'll, you'll know what it was like, Christopher Isherwood and all of that. But by 1936, Hitler was imprisoning gays, sending them off to concentration camps and killing them. So all the, all the freedoms we have today are never guaranteed in perpetuity. You have to constantly remind yourself that freedom and liberty have to be fought for in every generation. There's never any point in glossing over our history. In fact, the best way of forging a better future for ourselves and, and, and securing our liberties and freedoms in this country is to recognise the things that we've got wrong in the past. This was a particularly bloodthirsty era. People's lives were cheap. They were thrown away by the criminal justice system in dozens and dozens of hangings every year, whether for homosexuality or anything else. 200 crimes were considered capital offences. And it wasn't until just 70 years ago that we got rid of the death penalty at all. And I think there's something else we need to remember. Here in the United Kingdom, homosexuality is broadly accepted by the vast majority of people. That's a, an enormous change in my own lifetime. When I was at university, the age of consent was 21 for gay sex. So by definition, Anybody who had gay sex when I was at university was committing a criminal offence and could go to prison. And people were still being arrested for what was called importuning, that is, meeting somebody in a bar and going home with them if you hadn't known them beforehand. Still in the year 2001. And 34 out of 45 countries in the Commonwealth still have homosexuality as a criminal offence. Only a few weeks ago, the president of Burundi said that homosexuals should be taken out and stoned. And there are pastors in the United States of America who think that homosexuals should be taken out and shot. So never, ever, ever presume that the freedoms and the liberties and the opportunity to treat everybody equally under the law and to live the life that you choose, you want to be able to live, is guaranteed forever. I've told this story, the story of James and John, the last two men hanged for being gay, the story of William Burnell, transported for 14 years to Tasmania, their penal colony, for just providing a room for two lads who wanted to have sex together. There are many other stories, and I hope that you'll listen to them too.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.